Today, I have Laura Dodson, who's uh, been on the podcast, I think, at least four times now. And she has invited and connected me with Russell Harbour. Um, Haber. Haber, sorry. Uh, to, to have a conversation about Virginia Satir's family camps uh, that she ran, starting from what year, Laura, did this, the family camp start? About uh, 1976. Yeah, seventy six. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And and our focus, I think, with with looking at and talking about the family camps, is to look at one this overarching theme of how to build community. You know, that was one thing that we talked about um, in in our email correspondence, and uh, also exploring sort of the overall purpose that Virginia set out, as well as. Um, this this topic that is familiar to many therapists, the use of self. So, Laura, could I ask you to begin by sharing a little bit of the background of this camp, the, a little bit of the history to give us a context? Sure. <clears throat> well, Virginia had three main organizations. Uh, the ILEARN, the International Human Learning Resources Network, which was a community, or is a community still. Uh, the Satir Global uh, community um, and uh, family camp. And so they're all three efforts of hers to join people together in community to facilitate each other's growth and learning uh, and for camaraderie. And uh, Virginia started the family camp at the request of, um, um, I'm just not remembering, but a number of therapists who wanted her to work with their families. And the suggestion was that she did it in a camp setting. And so they hiked on some trails and had the camp in various places as they hiked along um, uh, for the first, for the beginning years. And um, then uh, one of the uh, members of the camp, uh, Betsy and Bruce Wolpert, uh, had some land on the Little Sur River and offered to create a camp there with uh, flush toilets in the woods and uh, uh, black tar paper around the, the toilet to give privacy and hmm. uh, we would all tent there. And that's where I first came with my two children when they were three and five. And that year, Virginia asked me if I would lead the camp and I, told her I couldn't because uh, my children were so young and they needed me. So for two years, I did a children's program at the camp and Virginia uh, continued for I think one of those two years, maybe both of those years. And then I became a part of a team of three people uh, to lead the camp and then the camp chose me as the main leader, our main facilitator. And uh, I, that was in uh, 1984 uh, or five, 1985, I think. And uh, I continued at the camp until three years ago, except for some years when I had cancer and uh, Russell came and took my place. Uh, then when I came back, the camp was disturbed because how would they have Russell and me too? They couldn't imagine. And we decided that that there should be a team of facilitators. And so Russell and I both came and invited other people to join us. Virginia had done the job all along with 60 people. We increased the camp to 120 people. 
uh, is that's the maximum that the facility would hold. And uh, then we, uh, we cre increased our team to have leaders uh, with the very young people and with the teenagers and young adults as well as uh, the uh, general meetings every day that, that Russell and I did. And we all interchanged different roles. Mm -hmm. Can I, so there's a few unique things about this camp just by way of, of clarifying. One, it was, it was a family camp, you know, a lot of camps, most, most camps are camps strictly for, for the children. And, and I've heard of some camps, but the majority of the time it's, it's for the children. So this was a family camp. And the second thing that, that sounds different is the therapist and their family. So your children uh, came to the camp and did your husband come as well or? No, at that time, my husband was not living. Okay. Okay. So can, can you tell me about those elements to the camp and, and you know, what were Virginia's ideas about uh, creating a camp like this? Um, I guess what, you know, what inspired her to include um, families, right? Not just camps for children to have something to do over the summer, but... Well, family um, was her, her, family systems was her thing. Mm -hmm. And she called the camp her great experiment. She was uh, interested to know if a group of people met once a year, uh, if they could sustain their growth, support each other, and um, make a difference in their lives in this way. Mm -hmm. And it's remarkable how that has been accomplished. I have a funny story about that. Mm -hmm. The first uh, time I met Laura, was in 1979 and uh, I went to a Satir conference. We had about 60 people at this, 60 people training at this conference. And uh, in a matter of days, all these 60 people hook up, hooked up with each other. So they had boyfriend and girlfriends, even though they were mostly married. And so I asked Virginia, I said, Virginia, you're a family therapist, but it seems like that the, that the training is not promoting families. And then she told me about family camp. And she said that that was an effort of having the therapists learn with their families. Mm. <laughs> so they're not growing apart, but they're growing together. Okay, wonderful. So it was it was a space for for therapists or anyone to grow um, alongside. So instead of having these isolated experiences away from their families and growing in one direction and and um, I guess expanding their awareness or expanding their consciousness, that their whole families could be included in on that journey. Right. Um, could you uh, maybe share some some more? Um, ways and in, in, in how that took place for you either personally or in your roles as facilitators? How, how did that growth and um, change happen? What did that look like? You know, we, um, we celebrated each transition in the family, uh, the normal life transitions of kids entering adolescence and um, kids uh, being born and coming as babies. Mm -hmm. uh, and entering into adulthood and marriages, some weddings were there. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, the young people tended to bring their girlfriends and boyfriends before they would become serious with them, or certainly before they would marry them, to see how they would do at camp. Mm. Because 
that they could communicate openly in the way the cat did was very important to them. Uh, so those are some examples, I think, of how, how the camp dealt with uh, transitions in families. Uh, sometimes we would have um, all the adolescents in the front of the room, like when we were having some problems with drug issues, and their parents would be sitting behind them. And the children, the, the young adults, uh, I mean, they were 13 to 18, would be speaking about drugs and camp which was uh, one of the big topics uh, a few summers. Mm -hmm. And uh, the parents would be listening. And then the parents would come in, the inner circle, and the child would go outside until we could reach the point that the parents and the children would be together uh, in support of each other. Wow, okay. So, yeah. to, to, so the, the, the teens would have their own circle, the parents would sit outside, as, outside of that mm -hmm. circle and just and be listening. And there were people observing. Mm -hmm. And the parents uh, were pretty adamant about the kids not using drugs, uh, not using uh, alcohol. But then what started off as an alcohol problem turned out to be a drug problem. And the kids accused their parents of using drugs. And uh, so it became quite an interesting dialogue. Okay. So it came out that, you know, the parents were having an issue with the with the teens uh, drinking alcohol but then the, the teens pointed the finger back and said you guys are using drugs and so it was this exchange back and forth can, can you share about how that was resolved or, or if, if there was resolution well i think that a number of adults got into aa because of those kinds of meetings and we have an aa group that meets at the camp uh, usually about three times a week. And so it really profoundly changed their lives. Can you go like deeper into the experience, what you remember about what was happening? Um, just it, what was the process like that, you know, people, it sounded like they were able to have productive, open, congruent conversations with one another um, how you facilitated that, you know, what helped that in terms of the environment? Uh, yeah, can you just share a little bit more of the process? Uh, what was well, going we on at the camp? a fishbowl. So we had one group on the inside, one group on the outside. And then we just were there just getting people to speak their truth. There's a, a lot of love in the camp. Uh, people have watched these children grow up from um, their birth, many of them, and it came when mm. they were very a few weeks old. Mm. Uh, and so the support behind the families in these issues was quite incredible, the love and caring that was there. Yeah, I, I just wanna be able to understand a few things. How long were the people in this camp, like in the summer? Like how, what would the duration be? From a Saturday till the following Saturday. So one week? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then would there be contact or meetings in, uh, between the summer, the, the week? Yes. The camp, camp uh, in time became independent and running itself with a camp committee. They always had a camp committee, but it took them a while to see that that camp committee was in charge of the camp, not us as facilitators. Mm -hmm. And the camp committee met three times a year and continues to meet three times a year 
even now during the pandemic uh, meeting on Zoom. Uh, and they've decided not to have camp this summer, which has been a major decision. But they're gonna have a virtual camp. A virtual camp, yeah. So, okay. so these um, profound, it's, you know, I'm really impressed because these profound connections happen in only, you know, one week, one week with 120 people. When you talk about the committee meeting three times a week, though, no, uh, three times a year. Sorry, three times a year. Right. Like, would that like who who would be who comprises the committee? Well, the committee yeah. is chosen by the camp. Uh, it would be about, uh, and one could join, uh, decide to join the committee as well. It's an open mm -hmm. group. Um, I think and, the rule uh, is the rule is that they have to be there two years. Uh -huh. After two years they can self-join the committee. But they can also come to the committee meetings even if they're not committee members. And they can come to the committee meetings on Zoom or Skype uh, if they're committee members or otherwise also. So those committee meetings can sometimes be 30 or more people. And they are groups that begin with meditation and poured in, uh, each one speaking about how, what is happening in their lives at this time. So they are immensely supportive as well as okay. the camp. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to understand the elements that go into creating the community and what, what are the elements that are part of the process? Uh, because what you describe, I think, is such a missing element. Like in my work with teens, my work with couples and families, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, what it would be like to have this kind of support where you're not just dealing with your kid one-on-one, -on -one, but you have this community, this energy around you where it's like, okay, I'm not alone. You know, I've got facilitators. I've got other parents around me. There's other kids having this experience. Um, it's, it seems to add something and, and it's related to what you were talking about in terms of also being able to celebrate transitions. It's not just deal, coping with the challenges, but being able to celebrate life, to celebrate transitions. Um, how, I guess, how did people use that support, whether, you know, as peers, as teens, or as, as the younger people, or as parents, like, how did you see that um, as an important factor to building community, the support uh, amongst or between people? You know, often when, when somebody in, would work in the teen group, or the young adult group, or in the large group where everyone or anyone could attend, um, the issue that a person worked on, or several persons might have worked, uh, would become information for the whole community uh, around how they could support them. So all during the week, if that person fell into the complex that they had spoken about, uh, someone in the camp might point it out to them and support them and help them find alternative behaviors. So all week long was a therapeutic community. Mm -hmm. uh, all week long, uh, whatever people offered up was community information uh, there for people to support each other with. And people know each other pretty well. It's not uncommon that people come every year. And I've been coming 27 years to camp. And so I've seen children become parents and, you know, witness them through their, all their different life cycles. So they, they create these lifelong 
bonds with the camp. Um, what, I mean, what are some of the ingredients to, to the Satir family camp that's maybe different from other camps? Like what are, what are some important ingredients um, that, that make it what it is? My son uh, came at age five initially. His bonds were so great with the young boys. And now he comes back or had been coming back when I was coming until I, I retired uh, three years ago. Uh, he came back with his children and his wife mm -hmm. and his, his friends came back gradually with their children. And some of them didn't come when their children were so little but by the time I left, I felt the camp was really ready for me to go because the people my son's age were coming back with their spouses and their children mm. that were between ages of about uh, maybe two to uh, 10. And they, these young people were becoming leaders of the camp. They were speaking out. They were uh, part of the committee. They were impacting the community. Uh, so that new generation was ready to take over, and that let me know that uh, the camp was ready for me to go also. Mm -hmm. the, the, what I'm wondering about is what, what made this camp unique and powerful that people like your son would want to come back, you know, so many years later. How is it affecting people? What, yeah, what made it different than other camps? Well, the camp is dedicated to growth. And so the focus is on communication, congruence, and all that raises people's self-esteem. So that people, like I, one of the early years I went to camp, I was walking across the meadow and I saw this person stop. These two boys were fighting and another camper stopped and kind of coach them how not to fight and how to speak to each other. And these kind of experiences happen all day long. That people are uh, part of a community and they recognize that they're part of a community. Mm -hmm. The support people feel in their growth and the ability to communicate congruently it's not present everywhere in the world, but in this community is present all week long. Mm -hmm. And the meditations and the community meetings in the morning allow people to center deeply and can become in touch more with their, their own self. So I think people return because they, they feel more in touch deeply with themselves and with other people and they mm -hmm. feel seen. And I, I think the work that people do in front of the group is very important because they bear their souls and then they become known and their problems become known. And uh, so people, when they see people, they see them at a, at a depth that is unusual. It's not typical. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I, I know that you, you've, you move just, I guess, for legal reasons away from the, the word therapeutic and more to facilitating, but it sounds like what, what happened to the people that witnessed other people doing their work? I mean, I imagine that had an effect. What, what effect did it have on the people that were maybe not the star of a process or something like that? What, what happened? Well, after the piece of work, people would share, they would come up and 
and share. And so many people would come up and there were many tears and uh, much commonality. People saw themselves in the person that it worked. Mm -hmm. So they become quite vulnerable themselves. Um, what, what was the structure of the camp as it related to the facilitation of process of, of doing a piece of work? Was it spontaneous? Was it structured? Like how, how did that look? Like was it every day there'd be an opportunity for a piece of work or with the group witnessing and supporting? Like maybe give me a sense of that. It was uh, sometimes spontaneously but other times people would request time to sort something out. And uh, mm. so we would do both. Like they would tell one of the facilitators that they've been really troubled by something and they really want to do a piece of work. And then Laura or I would work with them in front of the group. But the group was organized in such a way that in the morning uh, we had temperature reading, which would last anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half. Uh, and, and though it can be long, it became a, a sacred place for the camp uh, where people could really, uh, in the structure of saying appreciations and the structure that Virginia had for, for temperature reading, people could say what they really felt and what they really wanted. And after the temperature reading, there was a break for snacks, and, and then we had our morning session. And that was every day except one day. Uh, well, two, one day we had a, a family uh, sort of drawing session or a family uh, community session, uh, not a working session where we work in front of the group, but we might draw our family or something like that. And then one day of the week on Wednesday, we had what we called free university when anyone in the camp could present anything, could put down what they wanted to present and whoever came, they would present to those people. But the other days we had a community, we had a community meeting in the morning in which somebody worked and one in the afternoon in which somebody worked. And sometimes more than one person if we had more time. And then each day, or three days a week, we had women's group and, and we had a men's group. Uh, also during the week, sometimes the elders met as a group. And at the request of the group, that's where how these things are determined. The teens met uh, usually about four times a week. The young adults met and parents met, uh, particularly young parents. Sometimes young parents in one group and parents of teenagers in another group just to check in and talk with each other. And what meetings there were each time we came, in addition to the basic ones of the community meeting and the teens and the young adults, um, would be determined by what the group wanted, whether they wanted a couples group or whatever. Uh, so that's the general structure. Then uh, at, at the mealtime in the evening, which was usually a wonderful feast, we had a great cook, uh, then we'd have uh, our evening time, which often would be a social time uh, of a family bingo or some other activity in the evening. Which would involve uh, the whole group? The, involve the, the whole group, yes. Mm -hmm. Those or who wanted to come. Or it could What's be that? a couple of people playing guitar 
mm -hmm. kids playing cards so that it would be around the same area, but there'd be many different types of connections. Mm. Right. We also had uh, a book of pictures of people who were at the last camp, but not at this camp. And uh, it was possible to write love notes to those people that were mailed to them. What were there explicit, like it sounds like a lot of these groups were support groups. You would do sort of uh, a piece of work as people requested it. In terms of teaching Virginia's work and her model, um, were there explicit pieces that were taught to the group or was it Often all informal? There yeah. Often there was. Uh, sometimes when a theme would emerge uh, that evoked in our minds as facilitators some of Virginia's tools, then we would use that tool as part of the uh, large group meeting in the mornings or afternoons. Okay. And so are you talking about doing a tool, using a tool like a parts party or a family reconstruction? Right. Uh, pieces of family reconstruction, okay. yeah, and, okay. and uh, parts of a parts party. Okay. Yeah. What, what, other, what other explicit pieces of Virginia's work would you, would you teach? For example, would you explicitly talk about the five freedoms? Um, would you teach about the stances? Like what, what things would you explicitly teach at the camp? Yes, all those things. Okay. And sometimes when we hadn't found an occasion to have that evoked from the group, uh, but it'd been a while since we had um, put out some of Virginia's ideas and new people had started coming to the camp, then we would just take that opportunity to lay out some mm -hmm. framework so that people had that. Mm -hmm. So, so, I, so I want you, I want you both to imagine, like, I want to, I want to start a community, maybe in the form of a camp or in the form of a, of a community locally or something like that, that involved, you know, whole families. Um, what would the pieces, you know, in terms of Virginia's work, what would be important pieces that you would want as part of the curriculum or part of the, the, I don't know what you would call it as it relates to camps, but as, as part of this, the, the foundation of the camp that would enable the camp to be able to connect and create a deep connection in the way that you're describing? What would those pieces of Virginia's work be? Well, I, I've done family camps in, in uh, Moscow and in Lithuania and in Czechoslovakia. And those people came together as families and they hadn't necessarily, most of them had, hadn't had exposure to Virginia. So the camp began with uh, communication stances and uh, basic tools of Virginia's work, what congruent communication meant, and practicing congruent communication, and mm -hmm. uh, began with uh, family systems, un understanding Virginia's idea of family systems and family maps, and people doing something of their own family map. Uh, so a lot mm. of teaching tools were offered in every session, uh, followed by some space that was left open for people who wanted to do a piece of work. Hmm. Were, were most people that came to the camp, at least one part, one member of the family system already exposed to some of Virginia's work? Or were there people coming to the camp, entire families that were completely unaware or? In our camp, someone can come at the invitation 
of someone else who's in the camp. That's mm -hmm. the only way you can enter. And that may be someone who doesn't have exposure to Virginia. Mm -hmm. And there are whole families that were unaware of Virginia, but came to camp because they heard of the camp and they liked the idea the idea of being out in the woods. And uh, I think the nature is also another important part of camp, that it gives time for people to be away from cell phones, computers, mm -hmm. um, social media, and just gets them a time to get in touch with themselves and in the envir environment. And well, those things are not allowed at camp. Those phones and the use of phones and anyway the connection's so poor that helps us out <laughs> um yeah it's good to have that at this point digital detox as everyone's so attached to their technology so so the people they would be staying in, in tents is that what was the physical structure like how would people where would people sleep and where would they eat yeah. people were in tents it really was comfortable camping I had a cot in my tent and a air mattress. I can't say I suffered very much about being in the woods. Okay. Um, there were hot showers and um, <clears throat> so it was, uh, it was pretty comfortable. Mm -hmm. We have a fantastic cook. So we yeah. have wonderful food. Mm. So we had always snacks out. Salmon, steak, hamburgers, enchiladas. Wow. <laughs> Sign me up. I want to go. <laughs> Lots of people come for the food. Yeah. Um, Every, uh, at the camp, another piece of the structure is that there's a representative from each group, like from the adult group, from the adolescent group, from the young adult, uh, from uh, couples. And this uh, group of people meet every morning at breakfast time. When I thought about eating, I thought about sitting with that group of people. But all the facilitators come to that meeting and, and these people, and their job is to report, report in anything that the facilitators need to know uh, uh, that's happening uh, in their group. Uh, okay, yeah, what the dynamic is like within those subgroups. Right. Okay. Neat. Um, so it seemed like there, there was like a, a good systemic organization to relay information back and forth about the overall, the overall group dynamic amongst the whole. Um, wh what were some of the lessons learned? Because I imagine there was many bumps along the road. Did, were there specific things that you, you guys figured out and said, well, this is really important. We have to include this, or this is a structure we need to be implanted. Like, what were some of the lessons learned that, that helped build more safety and, and greater community? Well, I think for the camp to take ownership of the camp was one of the biggest things. Because uh, Virginia was a very strong leader, and she did all this by herself. And people came focused on Virginia. And we didn't want people to focus on us and see us as the leader in their purpose for being there and the one that carries all the, the responsibility for the camp itself. We wanted the camp committee to represent the camp and the camp to 
own itself and hire us as facilitators. Uh, and that took some doing. And, and I think it culminated when I was ill uh, with cancer and out of the group and, and Russell was there. So he could tell you how they came to that, if that's something that would be good to fill in. So I just want to understand the transition. So Virginia, you said, was a strong leader. She did a lot of uh, a lot of things, and people were, you know, drawn to to learn from her. But then there was this need to put some of the onus or responsibility back onto the camp itself, and then therefore this committee was formed. Um, I, I, I guess I'm not understanding. Well, like the committee what... was already there with Virginia, mm -hmm. but they weren't empowered. They gave all the power to Virginia. Oh, I see. Okay. And we didn't want them to give all the power to us. We wanted to empower them. Right. Because it just, I imagine, became overwhelming because you ended, probably ended up doing everything. Is that why? And well, no. Were... It's just a matter of working on their self-esteem and not projecting power that they had themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the camp became... Uh self-generating so that the camp itself could run without facilitators mm. at this point and um so like going through the pandemic crisis the camp is communicating with each other they set up a network and they've been communicating with each other and i don't think they could have done that 25 years ago they would have been too dependent on a leader to organize things for them. Okay, so this is this is interesting because this is this part is particularly fascinating because I think, um, and I, I don't want to get into the details of it, but I think a similar thing happened with Avanta, where organizationally there was a lot of challenges when Virginia died, um, and and I guess this speaks to organizational structures which I'm not too familiar with. But what um, what was what helped the system organize well enough that it could be self-generating? I guess what, are there some details that you could point to about leadership, about teamwork, about values that helped the camp become self-generating? Well, the values were communication and congruence and to earn your own power, you know, just to, uh, mm. to be in charge of your own growth. And I think that those concepts became embedded in people. Mm. I think also there was a number of very, very strong people in the community so that people that were in leadership roles were ready to assume leadership. And so the presidents uh, have been very important in mm. the process. What was mentorship, I, ma I imagine that mentorship was an important part of developing these leaders. Can you, is there something specific about this camp and maybe related to Virginia's work about mentorship? Uh, you know, it sounded like people were part of this camp over a long, long period of time. What, what did that look like in this camp? Well, mentorship was very important. And there was a group of people that were assuming the role of leaders. But then... Uh, they were challenged to have leadership that was outside of this group of powerful people. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, with the, the young people, 
there was a need for having young people step into some of these leadership roles. And so there were a couple of years where the senior leadership was was bemoaning the fact that there wasn't any new leaders and that they were getting tired and that the camp was going to die out, that once these leaders, there would be you know no one to replace them. And then the young adults, as they became, as they had their own kids and uh, came back and had their own jobs, they really embraced the role of leadership. And so now you have leaders that are, that were kids and have really stepped up and owned the fact of their leadership. Mm-hmm. Was it their, their just kind of natural personality, their disposition for leadership, or was there something in the camp itself that helped nurture that in these people? Well, my son uh, told me a number of years ago, and he said, when you stop coming to the camp, I'm going to continue coming to the camp. So he was no longer coming as the son of a facilitator, but coming in his own, in his own right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he became part of the governing count, the governing committee. And he was one of those people on Skype because we were in South Carolina. And uh, so he became uh, at the, came to the meetings and uh, really developed his own, own approach. Mm-hmm. And there's, Rus- Russell, there's a, there's a theme in the paper that you wrote on family camp. And um, hopefully, is it okay if I post it on the website so people can read it? Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. One of the things that, that you wrote is this theme of becoming a peer with your parents, especially for the teens, that transition period, be, be, as you're transitioning to becoming a peer or equal. Can, you, can either of you speak to that theme of how that uh, manifested in the camp? Well, I think that concept is from John Williamson, who looked at the idea of becoming a peer with your parents. And uh, so I think that the the children had to grow in a way that wasn't dictated by their parents and that um, becoming a peer means that they would own their own voice. You know, there was a wonderful moment I'd like to tell. It's a kind of humorous thing that happened. Uh, Maureen and uh, Graves and Tom Graves and I uh, retired from the camp at the same time three years ago. And uh, we were sharing this with the, we shared it with the group in the first um, uh, temperature reading. And in each temperature reading, it seemed to come up. And my son was leading one of the temperature readings and Maureen was saying again some things that she had said before uh, about leaving. And Jonathan said, okay, enough of that. And everybody in the audience, which are all these young people Jonathan's age, laughed because it was so beautiful that John had asserted his leadership role and told his elders, uh, his parents' age and his parents, his parent, that's enough. Uh, and let's move on. 
that was so beautiful when everybody laughed. <laughs> so, so the message was like a confidence of we're going to be okay, even though you're going. Is that yeah, like the, and, yeah. and uh, we have already heard you. We okay. can move on. And I think the nature of family therapy is to encourage each person to have their own voice. There was one time I was leading a session and I said to this guy, uh, this was the first year that I was there, and I said to this, this person, uh, it's too bad that your father is not here to hear you. And he said, yeah, my father's in the third row. And so then I brought his father out. And then he was able to assert himself with his father. So it's this business of finding your own voice with your parents. Mm. I wonder in, in the context of this camp and the community, how did you balance um, what I, what Virginia would call the seed model or the essence of, of people with the various roles and, and the idea of power? Right? People have responsibilities and power. How did you manage things, you know, the function of those roles that things needed to get done and, you know, how people can sometimes um, get kind of lost or confused, get kind of identify too much with a particular role and then lose the connection to self. Um, how, you know, in, in what you're describing, this transition to becoming a peer with your parents, um, how did the camp manage role identity with being an authentic self. Does this make sense, this question? Like this is a theme I'm wondering about. Well, I think one important facet of camp is the jobs that people have to do. And everyone signs up for four jobs a week and they're held accountable that they would do those jobs. So that- Which includes uh, helping the cook in the kitchen, cleaning the bathrooms, uh, cleaning the area where we have temperature reading, uh, various yeah. things. Mm, okay. And uh, <clears throat> so, so that people would be signing up for latrine duty and uh, they would model that they can clean up the latrines and uh, that that was part of, that was their job. And so people didn't associate with, they looked at the function of making the place a better place for everybody, mm -hmm. rather than looking at it as a job that's beneath them. When you say that they, do you mean like people in leadership roles would take on those chores and, and model that they're, they're not above any particular task? Is that what you mean? Sure. And everybody took jobs. Yeah. So the only people that didn't have jobs were people under 10 and over eight, over 80. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so it's like one woman that came to the camp and she was 93 and uh, she said, I just can't do the jobs. And people were loved her and said, well, please come to camp and don't worry about the jobs. Mm. Mm -hmm. Can I ask either of you to speak to your own personal, like it, it sounds like camp was um, a place um, that you loved and the role that you got to play in connection to it and continue to play with it. 
is very meaningful to you. Can you speak to maybe the impact that the camp had on your life uh, personally or? Yeah. Well, I it's think where my children saw my work and uh, they understood my profession and they, uh, and we developed more facile communication between us as well. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, Russell. Yeah, when I started camp, I came with my wife, who was a facilitator, and my son. And I think that everybody really more were curious about us when we came, and they were curious about our family. And I think that people liked me because they liked my son so much that they liked me. But it was a shared experience that the three of us shared with each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, it brought us closer together and uh, that we brought in some of the language, some of the people from camp stay with us all year round. Sorry, say that again, that last bit. Some people from the camp stayed with you all year round? What, what do you mean? Well, they stay with us in terms of our inner psyches. Oh, I see. I see. And uh, my son stayed in touch with a lot of young adults. Mm. Uh, even today, my son uh, texts back and forth to all these people, and he's been to every wedding of his peers there, and they wow. his. Wow. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Yeah, it's something, and it, what's, what brings a smile to my face is just kind of whatever I understand about Virginia's work. Um, one of the things that I, you know, when I've done some intensive trainings and just the connection that you make, but then feeling like there isn't a way to integrate that because uh, there isn't that space on an ongoing fashion. And it sounds like family camp was a, is a, a way to, to teach these concepts and to have these experiences and the, the roots of these bonds are so deep. Um, and, and I see it and I witness it in communities like I learn and what you're describing here where people develop these lifelong connections that are so meaningful. And I think that speaks to the profound impact that Virginia's work can have. Um, you know, early on when I met Virginia in 1963, one of the first things she said to me is, oh, I want you to meet Joan Herrick. And, oh, I want you to meet uh, 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 Marty Steiner. And uh, these are people who were studying with her in her first program at, uh, at uh, the Miller Research Institute in Palo Alto. She wanted to connect us to each other. Mm -hmm. And that's why she started Island. Mm. It's really, I think family camp is the best way to get a sense of what Virginia was all about because family camp embodies her teaching and embodies her principles. And then you really see it working out in a group of people. It's just fascinating. Mm. She saw it as a great experiment and she really didn't know if it would be effective. And she was astounded to see that people kept wanting to come back and that the children who grew up there were different sorts of folks than kids that didn't grow up at camp. They did communicate more clearly and more openly and mm. more straightforward. Uh, so she was feeling that her experiment was successful, even though anyone would have said that once a week every year is not going to 
develop personal yeah growth. yeah no that's that's when you said one week a year i was i couldn't believe it, it seems like such a short period of time um but that one week you really see people grow so you see infants grow up to become teenagers yeah did you did you guys ever try experimenting with a longer period of time did you land on one week being the ideal uh, what, what was I think that mainly because it's difficult for people to get vacations and take time off of work. Yeah, so it wasn't practical. Mm -hmm. Russell, can I come back to something you were saying? You said when you first came to the camp, I think to to uh, come in place of Laura when she when she was sick, um, and you brought your family, you brought your son and your wife. Um, is your background in psychology, or what? What's your what's your background in uh, family therapy? In fam okay, so as a family therapist, you're coming into this context. What was that like for you in terms of one needing to work out boundaries and and how like how are you thinking about how to reconcile that and, and uh, yeah I guess Laura you, you would have had the same kind of um, puzzle to to work through but can you speak to boundaries uh, and how you manage that or well about I it? think coming with a, as a family I had my own natural boundary so when the three of us would be eating together people would just leave us alone. So there was a sense of, of time, uh, our time was respected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, in this time of, um, of the pandemic, I'm doing all my sessions online and you know, my, my family's just in the next room or sometimes my, my son will be crying or there's, there's something. And so that's, that's closer to home. But I think in this, uh, in being in the camp, living together, cooking together, eating together, um, is there an element of being together that is in the role of therapist that is uh, beneficial for families to see or beneficial in both directions? I, I wonder what ingredient or what, what does that add in that's different than the formal therapeutic setting? I think my wife and I always had a challenge finding campsites. And uh, so we would argue about campsites. And the campers found this to be quite humorous. And so I think then seeing it takes away some of the glamour of being a therapist that you're naked taking a shower with somebody and uh, and they get to see you in different aspects and they see you in uh, functioning as a as a fellow camper because part of the job of our job is being a part of the camp as well as facilitating the camp Hmm. And I think that's really important for people to see that. Were there families that you worked with, um, people that you worked with, Laura and Russell, that you would invite to the camp? Yeah. That happened occasionally. Mm -hmm. Invite to the camp as campers or as facilitators? Well, okay. so in either, either case. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I've had a lot, of, about three or four people that I worked with um, became facilitators. 
and then that, I had, that you worked with therapeutically that became facilitators. That I worked with uh, collegially. And you know, helped train them. Colleagues and trainees that came as facil facilitators. I see. Okay. But also, uh, I was very careful when I was <clears throat> asking, a, inviting a client to come to camp. I wanted to be sure about our relationship that they could take in the camp and not just focus on me. And I wanted to feel that they had uh, a certain level of psychological maturity and were able to um, use the camp for their growth, not just uh, uh, be in a dependent situation upon me or upon the camp, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. and that they could uh, take in a community. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Yes, uh, some wonderful, wonderful people have come that have been my clients. Yeah. And of course, yeah. in the time of the camp, several of our campers have died. And when you mentioned that, I'm thinking about uh, Rhonda, who's a client of mine who came to camp, and uh, she has died of cancer this last year. Uh, but she came and she brought uh, the man that she later married and they worked on their relationship and then came together and she brought her daughters and mm -hmm. uh, then they brought, they came and brought their boyfriends and, and uh, their, later their children and, and then her sister came and her sister's husband and their children. And, uh, so that, that was a very successful mm -hmm. example of bringing a client that who was also a psychologist herself. Mm -hmm. It was uh, yeah. lovely. And Laura, process. you also brought a lot of international therapists. Yes. Yeah, you know, as you're describing this community and this camp, it, it makes me think of, you know, one of my wishes is that in some ways, I mean, I say this kind of half jokingly, that the therapists, the, the formal context of therapy can one day disappear. And, and what we're doing is, we're learning to learn skills to be loving with one another that are not, you know, relegated to a specific context that communally we, we learn to support one another. We learn how to speak, you know, you're talking about these very general things that are so helpful to communicate congruently, to take responsibility for your own voice, um, to, to, to listen, to really listen to one another, to support one another. Um, and I think, you know, we, we can live in such isolation sometimes and, and particularly in this context of the pandemic that the idea of community is, is really lost. Can, can you speak to your own perception of that or, or if that fits with how you think um, or maybe the need of a camp like this is community missing um, in our modern society? And, um, and if so, are there lessons from the camp? that we can take and integrate into our daily lives? Well, I think so. In our life, we don't really know our neighbors very well. Mm -hmm. And so here's a community where you feel known by 120 people and there's some comfort in feeling known and being seen. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Virginia's, what you just said, Tim, is Virginia's vision for raising world consciousness, uh, that where we be not 
you versus me, uh, but you and me, and a sense of community in the world, uh, and that this would be the transformation, the, the raising of consciousness that she felt was her life mission. Mm -hmm. Raising of consciousness in the world. Mm -hmm. And camp would be a small modular of that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you've used that word experiment a few times that we're ex experimenting. And I think we need to do more experimentation of the what are the forms of connection that we need to, to raise world consciousness, to inject the world with more peace. And one of the things that I'm wondering, like I, I see as a great possibility is our ability to connect online has has a greater potential than I thought initially as we've moved into this time. So um, hopefully that can be a form where we can feel a genuine sense of, of community um, and experience and, and to bring more peace, you know, within and, and between and amongst um, each other. Is there anything else? I mean, I, I think um, maybe by way we'll we'll need to start kind of closing but is there anything at this moment that you would like to share about your experiences the lessons learned well i think that there's a magic at camp and uh, just being part of the camp is being part of that magic i uh, each year i played the blues and for me, it was my way of saying what my experience was at camp. And uh, I think f I got really close to our fellow facilitators, to Laura, to Tom, Maureen, Shirley, Ray, Malcolm. These are all people that were there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so I really loved being at camp. Mm. I think it's been an important part of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been in different trainings. Um, one, there's one with Maria Gamori that comes to mind, and it was a training amongst, um, there's a particular mental health clinic in Ontario in Canada. And so she was doing a piece of work with a family, and there was the group of professionals sitting around, and um and laura um we met we, we've been talking sort of virtually and we did she did a piece of work with me as the star that i learned last fall and similarly there was a group of people sitting around me and i i'm thinking of those images as you're describing camp that that being encircled by a supportive group a supportive energy um i think it amplifies the energy of healing and of consciousness, the, the idea of raising consciousness. Um, I think you've, you've both given me um, a lot of inspiration to think about Virginia's work in a larger and larger context and how we can expand and integrate her work with a larger idea of community. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to thank you for sharing about this experience as a concrete form of her work um, that I've never had the chance to, to speak to anyone about. I've read the book. There's a book about Satir Family Camp. Mm. Um, but um, to speak to you and to hear the emotion that you both share of your love for this camp, um, I, I yearn for community. So um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I can experience something like this. Mm.